You are listening to the Homeland Heroes Salute, sharing stories to heal and honor our heroes. This podcast is brought to you by the Homeland Heroes Foundation and produced by Dairy Cam. This podcast sometimes deals with mature content that may not be suitable for a younger audience and could be triggering for some individuals. Discretion is advised. The views expressed by our guests and others are solely their own. No views expressed in this podcast represent any of the uniform services, the Homeland Heroes Foundation, Dairy Cam, or any other organization. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Homeland Heroes Salute. My name is Alyssa, and today we have hosting with us Art Briggs. Hi, Art. How are you? Excellent. Thanks for having me again. This is getting to be a habit. I know. Thanks for joining us. Art and I are joined today by Bob Brown. Hi, Bob. How are you today? Good. How are you guys? Thanks for having me tonight. Yeah, thanks for joining. Uh, we're doing good. Can you share with the audience a little bit of your backstory, where you live, yep. your family, um, and what branch you were served in? Sure. Yeah, I was uh, born and raised in Wakefield, Massachusetts. That's uh, where I went to high school and graduated from uh, in 2000 and went to college for two years. And it was when the world planes went into the World Trade Center that I realized I was more or less wasting my time in college and always had a calling to serve in the military because it was a family tradition starting with my grandfather in World War II. Um, he was Battle of the Bulge, a Bronze Star recipient. Uh, my father and my uncle both served Vietnam Wars, so it was kind of uh, natural for me to serve the country, and it was always been in our blood to serve because they're all civil servants and retired now. So it was a very you know fitting move for me at the time to leave college and, and get that portion of you know, what I always wanted to do, you know, and serve with the Navy Seabees. Uh, so I served with the Seabees from 2002 to two, end of 2005. Um, and when I got out of the Seabees, I became a fireman back here. And then shortly after that, you know, started Broco Oil and, you know, being able to, you know, interact with all these veterans between the police and fire side and, prior military um it's been good a good process for us because we can help veterans that are getting out and find them jobs in and around the area of massachusetts and also when i started my business it was a nice transition to have veterans being discharged and giving them an opportunity to work in the private sector which and i own an oil company started off as home heating oil delivery so that's a quick little uh summary of how I became a CB and where I'm at now, which is, um, you know, still a growing business, but thankful to have a lot of support like uh, the Homeland Heroes that um, really pushed my name around the area of Massachusetts and beyond. And Julie's been really, really great advocate for the whole veteran community. So uh, definitely a good shout out to you guys for for doing all this and what you do for the community. Yeah, it's awesome. And we love to hear that. Um, can you elaborate for some people, um, including myself, what a Navy CB is? Yeah, a, C- a CB stands for Construction Battalion. Okay. And back in World War II, when they were short engineers, they were gathering up all these private contractors in the civilian world and basically giving them uniforms uh, to 
you know, build all these construction sites and, you know, support the military uh, build up in foreign countries. So that's basically how the CB started was uh, private contractors getting thrown into military uniforms. So when I had taken the placement tests and, you know, they gave me a whole list of jobs that, you know, ranged from anywhere from being on a ship to, you know, possibly doing something with like UCT underwater construction team. So CBs was, you know, really a good niche. If you want to learn a trade and carry that trade outside to the civilian world after you're done serving, um, you can apply that skill set and, and land yourself a nice job, you know, almost instantly. So the Helmets of Hot App program was one that was being pushed around Boston prior to me signing up for the CBs. So I, knew going in that there was uh you know job opportunities available when i do get out so that being in a construction unit I mean, you learn every single aspect of the trades i myself was a steel worker so i never welded but you know the navy certified me in all various types of welding brazing soldering uh, and basically steel erection for you know bridges and rapid runway repairs so they gave me a a really really good toolbox to bring back to the civilian world no that's wonderful uh so you're let's rewind to 2000 you're in college and uh 2001 the the world trade centers and the pentagon are hit and the flight goes down in pennsylvania and how old are you at that point I was 19, 20 years old at that time, 2001, yeah, 19, and I was in English class. I remember it like clear as day, as does everybody that was around that time. It kind of the world stopped for a good portion of that day, and that's when I realized right then and there that, you know, everything changes in a second, and that was the second that changed my life because I realized I was kind of spinning the wheels being in college going through the motions wasn't really motivated much other than just do homework and you know do what college kids do and most of the time it's you know possibly getting into trouble and whatnot so i was really not making the best use of my time and uh that was the spark that i needed that kind of was the catalyst to everything that you know has brought me to here today so i look back on that. And when you could say you can turn something, you know, positive out of a really terrible situation, that was, you know, the situation that changed my life. Nice. So battle of the bulge, your grandfather served, I'm assuming he's army or uh, Marines. Army. Army. Yeah. And your, army your father, and- your father and your uncle, they were, they both served in Vietnam. Yes. In the, which, which, which branch of service were they in? My uncle was a Marine uh, infantry. My father was Navy assigned uh, as a boiler mate. Nice. So you followed in your father's footsteps with the branch of service, but the, the call to service is a, is a family tradition. It's something that was ingrained. What was it like as a 19, 20-year-old Bob uh, ready to ditch college uh, and go serve our nation uh, while we're at war? What was the What was the you know, from recruiting to uh, basic training, what was your process like? Uh, the process was fitting for where I was at in that time, which was basically straighten me out, give me responsibilities, give me a lot of discipline, 
uh, right away when in boot camp, uh, it was the first time I was assigned a position, the master at arms, which is, you know, basically putting you in charge of all these recruits. So you're accountable for getting them mustered up ready in the morning at every you know given time that the master chief gives you to, you know, form up. And that includes shower time. So you kind of put in a position of authority, but it's more or less informal authority. But it was the first time where others' actions would be, you know, I'd have to take the blow if something wasn't done. So it was that was a blessing in disguise being assigned that position because that was my first real taste of, okay, I'm not just taking care of me anymore. I'm taking care of all these other recruits. And, you know, really functioning as a team is, is the main aspect of, in boot camp, you realize you're not an individual. You know, you have to be as good as your weakest link, and you got to make sure that that weakest link isn't really showcased that much if your team's good enough to support them and carry them through. So uh, that was a very, you know, good leadership experience that I took and carried on throughout the rest of my time in the military and into the fire department and start my business. Yeah, as a businessman, I, I imagine that first initial uh, shot at leadership there uh, has to be something you lean on as a business owner, your weakest link being, uh, you know, your your stability for being a representation of your business. Uh, how is the leadership that you learned in the Navy impacting you as a business owner? It's, it's basically formed everything, the whole structure that I have implemented today. and. You know, as a chain of command and as we grow, the chain of command grows, but everybody reports to somebody, including myself, which is obviously my employees and my customers. So everybody knows in my company that, you know, even though it's a chain of command, it's not authoritative command where, you know, we tell others what to do. It's more or less a give and take, uh, especially in this generation, you know, um, a tough group has been the millennials, but. They're hard workers. You just got to basically, you know, it's situational leadership. So everybody is, as an individual, you have to bring a different leadership tactic to that person um, and how you lead as a group, you know, basically is, is another thing in itself. But grooming each individual to adhere to how we do things is, is our first and primary concern. And then we form them into the team element. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Uh, backing up to the the basic training, you you grew up in Wakefield, and I, I forgot where you went to college. Can you remind me? Yeah, UMass Lowell. Okay, so you're you're kind of local. At that point, had you been anywhere outside of the uh, New England area? Other than a trip to Disney World when I was eight years old, I have never left Massachusetts. Uh, okay, as more or less, this this was our our bubble that not a lot of people venture from. Okay. So as a 20 year old and you're, you're, you're in your new England bubble, everybody's a Patriots fan. Everybody loves the Red Sox and you, yeah. you get into great lakes, uh, Michigan, and there's people from all walks of life, all different places, all different types of traditions. And you're in a, you're in a big Bay with a lot of people. What was, what, what was it like for you? I mean, it was it was good to experience other cultures and and how those those mingled all together. And the beauty of it is when you're in a in a large group like a battalion, 
you know, you could learn so much from all these guys. Uh, we had some fun with it. And a lot of the, uh, you know, bonding is just kind of we would break each other's you know balls here and there and have a good time with it. But everybody always had this, uh, you know, thing against the Patriots and the Red Sox at the time, because that was when, you know, Tom Brady was coming up into his, you know, start of many Super Bowls. So we were in San Diego when uh, the Patriots won the Super Bowl and also when the Red Sox won the World Series. So, uh, but it's funny to see how many people were really Red Sox Nation fans out in San Diego, more so than like the Padres, uh, you know, realizing that there's a better following outside New England for, you know, the fans. With having so many family members that were part of the military, what were their reaction to you joining? Uh, they weren't surprised at all. My my father was naturally happy that I made that decision. My mother w- was not so happy. But it was more, I, I think, expected of me at some point to do that. They were just, it was only a matter of time. I think it, 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 I always spoke about it when I was a kid growing up and how I, you know, had a sequence of events planned from when I was in third grade, which was go in the military and then I'll be a firefighter. And like that was, the rest was history. So uh, it was, um, you know, very, very well expected out of my family members to see me drop out of college at that point and, you know, sign up for the Navy. Mm. So once once you got back uh, from, you graduated from basic training, you said you went to San Diego, is that right? I, I went to Chicago, Illinois for boot camp. I was stationed in Gulfport, Mississippi, with NMCB seven. That's a lot. That's a lot like New England, right? <laughs> yeah, it was I, when they gave me a choice of East Coast and West Coast. I assumed East Coast. I'd find myself in Virginia, maybe even Connecticut or Rhode Island. And <laughs> when they gave me orders to Gulfport, Mississippi, I honestly, I was like, I thought that was the South, but I guess in the military, it's nope, that's East coast. And that's where you're going. So I, I thought it, I was in the middle of nowhere, but after getting down there, you know, I found a love for the South and all the culture down there. I, you know, visited very often, uh, go to new Orleans a lot. So it was a definitely, uh, a shock to me when I got those orders, but I ended up falling in love with it when I was there. Yeah, two different types of seafood boils, right? From uh, New Orleans to to Boston. Yeah, I tell you, I like the crawfish and everything else, but I would our lobsters up here blow their lobsters out of the water. I thought I was getting, you know, a main lobster. It's a pretty, you know, prestigious thing up here, and you figure that standards everywhere, and it's like, nope, not the case. So everything else is great. It's just the lobsters. I more or less stick to only New England. I'll eat those. That's good. Yeah, listen, I'm waiting for you to jump in on that one. On the lobster? Yeah, something. You got you got to <laughs> support your your uh, New England habitat up here. You know, I I grew up in Maine, so I'm completely a New England girl. I was born in Mass, grew up in Maine, spent my 20s in New Hampshire, and I'm back in Boston now in my late 20s, and Lobster's the one thing I could, I would not miss if I ever moved away. <laughs> Until you had like a Caribbean warm water lobster, you'd, <laughs> you wish you'd, 
Well, maybe. That's when I really was was shocked. I was like, what is this lobster? And why does it look so strange? Like, that's a lobster. I'm like, that is it's not really a lobster. It's small, right? <laughs> it was uh, it was all different colors. It was you know looked like a rainbow, and it tasted terrible. And it's got no claws. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. I was, it was I very lobster. very strange. If I ate lobster, it was only the claws, like strictly the claws. Still, kind of is today, so that, that wouldn't work for me. Maybe I would miss lobster yeah. a little bit. Yeah, you would if you if you just went there and just started ordering lobsters over when they said, "Oh, we have a, here's a seafood place." You would instantly fall back in love with your main lobsters. <laughs> um, yeah, probably. So, who or what were you leaving behind when you decided to join? Uh, at the time, I was leaving behind my immediate family. I have a brother, a sister, uh, mom, dad, and I was. I I just got back together with um, my high school sweetheart, my wife, who's now my wife, Angela. So we we had broken up in college for you know a short period of time, but when she found out I was making the move, you know, she more or less was like, "Good, you 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 need this in your life." So um, you know, I was a little bit lost, so to say, as a college. sophomore at the time just kind of again spinning my wheels so uh, again it was probably the best move I have ever made in my life was to drop everything and just go serve mm-hmm. that's awesome um what yeah. did you have any skills or traits that best prepared you for your service yeah so in the CBs I I jumped at it because at the time at the time and prior to during high school I always kind of had an entrepreneurial kick in me and I'd always do random odd end jobs for, you know, building someone's patio or repointing someone's chimney. And I'd kind of always take on jobs that were beyond my skill set, but I, I take them on anyways and try to be as confident as I possibly could to assure the customer it's going to get done right. And mm-hmm. most of the time it'd be done kind of half-assed after as I'm looking back at it, but it was more or less me wanting to take on these challenges and, and try to get something going and make a business out of it. So I had a nice little masonry side gig going on all the way through. And that was what led me to the CBs when they said I could have access to all these, you know, trades and learn a specific one. So uh, I, I did want to be a plumber, but that was all taken up. So steel work it was something that I never did. I never welded before or knew anything about really steel. But uh, that's why I selected it so I could, you know, learn more about it, get certified, and add that, you know, to my toolbox there. That's awesome. Yeah, it was. Uh, a lot of people don't know about the CB, so I, I always like to go in depth about what it is because I think it relates to a lot of these kids in high school that don't know if they're cut out to be college students and if they're not and if they they know that they're just going to be you know work workers and work with their hands and do manual labor you can make a great living especially in this day and age where a lot of these trades are are having a lack of participation in apprenticeship programs so yeah. they're starting to be lucrative for younger kids that want to just work hard and learn a trade and like electricians, plumbers, they're kind of, um, 
hard to find these days. Yep, that's that's absolutely true. Um, I got a couple friends that are. It um, took them a few years after high school, but they finally decided to go into a trade, and it's the best thing that they could have done. A lot of the companies that we work with, you know, we sub out because we do large scale commercial projects too. Um, they have great pension programs, retirement plans, full insurance, and these guys are getting top dollar for you know just a, a manual entry level position. I have a question in, in regards to as you grew up and you talked with uh, your grandfather or, or you didn't or you talked to your uncles about uh, Vietnam and your or your father. Do you have any like uh, stories that stuck with you that kind of like embraced you or, or even like molded something in your character that you uh, that positioned you to serve in our military? You know, I. it's funny that you asked this question because the answer is no. My grandfather, my uncle, my father, they, they never spoke about anything. They actually kept things very close to the chest. It's not till kind of now in my mid-30s that, you know, you get little pieces here and there. But those those guys are, you know, a different breed where they more or less would come home. They, you know, they just suck it up. They don't talk about it. You know, some of them, you know, have, you know, demons that they're battling every day, um, which is what we would call PTSD. Because uh, it just was more or less something that was there, but they just never addressed it until, you know, the last 20 years. So, the, you know, my father, you know, raised us pretty strict, you know, pretty tough. And his father was probably three times as tough as my old man was on us. So um, I would, it, it, it did to a point where it's, we know we don't get out of line with the old man or my grandfather, but um, now looking back on it, it all makes sense. Yeah, that, that does make sense as you put it in perspective. All right, some incredible people to follow in their footsteps. Yeah, my grandfather was the one I, I learned most. I mean, he has passed, um, but after learning about all these things and the awards that he had and everything he, he did uh, in the military and outside of the military, uh, he was uh, part of the uh, VFW and he was in uh, Norman Prince Legion down in Melrose, Massachusetts. He was the head commander there. So he did a lot for you know, all those guys that he served with and all the World War II veterans. But he never spoke about anything. He did, Once when he got out of the service, he became a pipe fitter for General Electric and you know, he would do his thing after work and he was just a man of routine and didn't really say too much. Just your just a run on the mill, regular citizen showing up to work. Well, angry citizen. <laughs> we, we always used to joke around that he was always uh, always mad at something. Was he was he always mad or just carry a grimace? I think it was more or less just carry a grimace. Us I have 38 cousins. So all of our, us cousins would be afraid of our grandfather. Cause we weren't sure of, you know, what mood he was in, you know, for sure. For sure. Well, that's an incredible story and journey to, uh, to serve in our nation, uh, coming from new England, just a history that's not even spoken of in, in your lineage and, you know, the, the towers fall and, you know, everybody, I think at some point, 
was like, Hey, I want to, I want to do something. Uh, I think most of our listeners yep. that are that are 35 and, and up are going, yeah, I remember having that, you know, that twinge of, if I want to do something, but you, you took the steps and went into the recruiting station and, and joined and served our nation. So, uh, on behalf of Homeland Heroes, thank you for your service to the United States Navy and our military. Appreciate you. Yes, no, and and thank you, thank you. I appreciate your service as well. So, it was one when I went into the recruiters, I thought it was going to be such a quick process. Saying, okay, great, these guys are going to get me right in the door in the next couple of weeks, and I'm off. And then I realized it's like a wait half the time. So I had to wait almost ten months to get a slot for boot camp. Bob, are you telling me that you have you have to wait in the military? There's a thing called waiting. <laughs> it's hurry up and wait. So that was my first hurry up and wait experience. Was okay. I'm going to go to the recruiter, and I'm I'm going out as soon as possible. And as soon as possible was ten months. And I was trying to expedite the process. In the meantime, because I was still in school, but I didn't want to be there. But they they said that's as soon as we can get you in. And they put me, I said, well, put me on the list of a cancellation list. If someone doesn't make the cut or they drop out, I want to be slated for that spot. But I ended up waiting the whole 10 months. So that's why the 2002, uh, you know, was the enlistment date. Um, That might be a good place to stop for part one. Um, So I'm just going to go my little spiel. Thank you for joining us for the first part of Bob's story today. For part two, tune into the next episode of the Homeland Heroes Salute. This podcast is brought to you by the Homeland Heroes Foundation, an organization dedicated to the reacclimation support of active duty service members, veterans, and their families in their time of need. To learn more, visit homelandheroesfoundation.org. Thank you to our production team at DairyCam, creating connection through story for a better world. Learn more by visiting dairycam.org. Thank you for listening and make sure you subscribe to the Homeland Harris Salute wherever you listen to podcasts.